welcome to the powder keg of awesome. You want awesome? Well, you're going to need to get off your ass and go make some. The powder keg does not light itself. In this podcast, uh, I, Jerry Kennedy, and my co-hosts Jackie Dotson and Michael Clark riff on why being able to spin less and do more is more essential than ever. Lighting the powder keg of awesome requires being able to cut through crap, speak the truth, and make stuff go. Good evening, y'all. And back on my game, I didn't flub it. No, you didn't flub it. Yeah, very impressive. Well, very you're, impressive. You're a professional actor. In the well, game, I don't so. have, I don't have other lines occupying my head at the moment. That's right. So, you're done with your run, right? So it was closed. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. We had a, we had a really, really, really good run. We actually had the uh, second uh, highest net, uh, highest, uh, what do you, what would you call it? Ticket sales. Grossing. Gro- highest grossing show in the history of that little theater company. So in other words, Jerry has a lot of friends. I, no, none of my <laughs> friends came. Jerry's a I did, I did, I came. Jackie came. I came, I saw, I didn't understand it, but I enjoyed myself. I'll, a lot of my theater friends came. Wait, did you go sober? Yeah. That's why. That's the problem. It's cloud nine, you really gotta get, you know, a little, yeah. uh, at least a little tipsy before you come. The, the thing I took away from cloud nine was there's like a bunch of people who were all in relationships with other people and they wanted to be in gay relationships with other people. Um, there was there was certainly there were, a, there were a couple uh, of straight ones too. tone of, of that. But yeah. it's, a, you know, it's, it's all about um, what happens when you colonize, whether that be colonizing another country, another person's body, when you when you are colonizing and oppressing. So yes, yeah. Lucky's in the background. Uh, so for all, of, for all of our intrepid listeners, um, not both of them, and that's actually one dude with, um, <laughs> you know, mental illness and, and two, two personalities. Um, that's, that's Lucky in the background, my one-year-old puppy. And I brought her because I felt like she would humanize the place mm-hmm. and, and she would share love and, and bark and be in the background and be annoying. Yeah, you just brought her because you know how fucking much I hate dogs. I did, actually. Uh, yeah. You guys, we have a guest. Uh, hello, Tess. Language why don't we? Why don't we introduce... I know. You can't do that nice? on the radio. Isn't this nice? You get to just say things. You don't have to... Well, I, I want a puppy. Uh, I, you can, I'll ship one. you this one. I'll put this one in a box and send it to you. No problem at all. I, I, um, I live with a dog. And uh, the dog is actually... Mine from my previous relationship came into, and I'm like, why is this dog following me everywhere I go? <laughs> I don't even like dogs. Yeah, because you might have food. It just <laughs> follows yeah, exactly. me from like relationship uh, to relationship. The, now here's my the, concern. The dog is a simple blunt instrument, much like men. Here's my concern. <laughs> uh, my uh, new wife, mother of my soon-to-be children says to me, well, at least once the babies are here, there will be somebody home all day, and the dog will feel better. And my response was, yes, unless he's afraid of babies, because he's afraid of everything. Yeah. The dog is, and he's big. Yeah. He's like, he's like a hundred pounds big. Yeah. And everything (laughs) scares him. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, he's, oh he's, god, he's, he's gonna have he, babies. He's, he's pretty hefty. So we go over the other day, <coughs> check things out on our on our merry travels, and uh, you were talking to the guy doing stuff in uh-huh. the yard, and I go, hey Vegas, how's it going? Vegas kind of got all worked up, and then scared himself with his tail. <laughs> 
He was like, oh, who's that? And he sat down real quick and looked over his shoulder. I have met this dog and I believe that. I was like, oh, are you seeing dead people? What's, what's going on right now? Why do, I, why, do I, why do we both have to pee all of a sudden? So our guest, our yeah. uh, wonderful guest who has tolerated four minutes of our bullshit now, um, <laughs> is a uh, re repeat client. Uh, Tess Midland is back. Repeat in the customer, house. Repeat right, customer. we had Tess on the show last year after I, I got, I was in the audience when Tess made her life-changing speech at the World Domination Summit. Well, I heard, I heard that and, was an extremely transcendent experience. And as these things go, one thing has led to another. <laughs> and Tess is with us to talk about another transcendent experience. Yeah, and here's the thing, I haven't ever wanted to go to anything like this until I heard Jackie talk about the Tess Bigland experience and, and how awesome it is. And now I have to figure out how to go to Portland with, um, and make it back without um, getting incarcerated. <laughs> Uh, yeah, figure that out before you go. Yeah. Short-term yeah. short incarceration is okay, just don't get locked up. Oregon State Police are badass. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they love, and they love people with California license plates. <laughs> it's like, oh, I smell money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're smelling the guy on the other car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter, he's going to write you a ticket and you're going to have to pay it anyways, even yeah. if you're dead broke. <clears throat> so a year has transpired. Uh, um, oh, it's been almost two years. Almost two yeah. years. Almost two years. Almost wow. Two years. wow. So what's new? <laughs> oh, you know, not much. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was listening to a little bit of uh, your discussion as I was coming in, and um, you were talking about um, there's there's folks who do and there's folks who um, who write about who do. Yeah, the, the the truism that that I've been quoting recently is that uh, there are those who do, and then there are journalists who report on those who do. Yeah, that's my, that's a much more eloquent way of the <laughs> the thing that I just butchered. Yeah, and I you know I I don't know I'm I just got back from this trip that was uh, transformative for me personally, and it's um. It's something that I'm still trying to absorb and figure out what it all means, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, the year and a half, almost two years since the speech has been just crazy awesome. I mean, like nothing that I ever, ever would have predicted or expected, uh, but, you know, all good. And I, you know, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Um, well, I'm hoping that I will. Yeah, I don't know that I ever will. But have you got have you got a lot have you got a lot of um, requests for um, you know coming to the office to someone come host our show come come to our office park and be the motivational speaker or <laughs> no 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 corporation would want me to come to the office park because <laughs> I would tell everybody to quit. <laughs> well, it's, 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 interesting, it's interesting, Tess, and, and one of the things, one of the takeaways I had from, you know, your speech obviously resonated with me and where I was in my life, but I don't even look at what I want to be when I grow up anymore. I'm kind of like, well, what do I want to do right now? What am I doing right now? Yeah. And yeah. I found that's, that's like, that's like been a whole big game changer, a whole shifter for me. You're like Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Okay. Without the funny German accent. Without the funny German, I love his accent. Even if you don't, even if you don't subscribe to anything the guy says, you put yeah. on one of his audiobooks with him narrating it, yeah. and you'll be asleep in seconds. Well, he I has don't. the most relaxing. I about my Definitely, he yeah. has the most relaxing voice of anyone you will ever meet. 
I used to I used to perform uh, solo steel string guitar, and, and I, I used to apologize for folks that came to every show because I'm self-taught and I play my own stuff. And then one person asked me for you know another recording, and I go, oh, well, it's the same one. And she goes, well, I, he he goes, well, I love it because it um it is so relaxing and it puts me to sleep, kind of like in your show. I just kind of unwind, and I and then, and then I I was thinking, wow, okay, ringing an endorsement are really boring. And so I said, is that a ringing endorsement? Or is it really? He goes, oh no, it's not boring. I just can't listen to it in the car when I'm driving. <laughs> I am sure none of that feedback will come to you from your book. You actually have a very, I mean, we talked to a lot of people and uh, obviously because you've been doing this for a significant period of time, uh, you've got a great voice and you know how to speak clearly and enunciate. We get, you know, some sloppy drunks in here who... Uh, you know, can barely make it through a sentence. Those are those are always fun. Great. Looking. Yeah. Well, you guys didn't give me any of the wine that you're drinking, so I'm so know. sorry. We should have made sure that a package arrived at your door at 4:45. <laughs> Had I been thinking, I would have done that. The pa yeah. the package was sent, but um, I, I I think the DEA <laughs> DEA got it. <laughs> DEA grabbed hold of it. The, the, the sniffer dog opened it. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, so Tess, um, <coughs> you know there may be some folks listening who uh, didn't catch the last one have never listened to NPR so maybe give a little bit of background what? on I know I was one of them until <laughs> you were on the first time actually no I take that back it is it's the it's the girl who has exposed me to NPR and uh, now I cannot get enough of wait wait don't tell me <laughs> I just I, Saturday morning is like oh wait wait don't tell me son. and I'm down that rabbit hole but uh, yeah, so tell you tell you a little bit about yeah, the song. Yeah, have some background. Well, uh, okay, so I was on NPR for twenty plus years. Had my dream job with a program called Marketplace, uh, which is a business and finance show uh, distributed nationally on public radio, and um, really just was among the most fortunate people to find what I loved, kind of first thing. It was, it was what I started doing out of college and um, reached my career goal by the time I was 32, had my own national radio show. And um, 11 years after that, uh, just was kind of in a place where I wasn't sure that I wanted to be uh, covering the subject that I was covering at the time, which was personal finance. And for various reasons, just felt uh, the need to leave that employer, and I did so without having any idea what, what I wanted to do next. Yeah. Um, because I had my dream job, so you don't spend a lot of time dreaming about the next one when you already have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, quit and kind of basically was a freelancer for a few months. And then I gave a speech about all of this in July of 2013 to an audience of 3,000 strangers. And um, basically said, you know, yeah, sure, I'm brave, yada, 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 but it's also been a really, really incredibly difficult experience for me. And I'm not sure who I am anymore. 
And Tess, I think that was what was so great about it is because when you go to events and things, they will give you those speeches like rah, rah, rah. It's right. all great and wonderful, but nobody wants to talk about the holy shit, this is hard. I don't know who I am anymore. Anybody hiring? Yeah, and that really, I, that, yeah. that, I think that's what really spoke to people. Well, it's funny because when I came on stage, I was like, people aren't going to want to hear this because I'm like this negative Nelly and I'm not giving the rah-rah speech and they're, they're going to look forward to the moment I get off the stage. And that wasn't it at all. You fought for the audience and you were wrong. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I learned from that. Um, so it was a most extraordinary experience. I uh, have never kind of felt that kind of public love from a bunch of strangers. It was it was it was wild and wonderful. And unbeknownst to me, there was an executive editor from Random House in the audience. And eleven days later, I had a book deal. Always nice. Yes. So that's what I've been working on for the past year and a half or so. And that's kind of been my job. Um, I've also been continuing to freelance for various international publications, and um, I also do MC work, which I really enjoy, um, panel moderation and that sort of thing. Um, but for all that, I still have been trying to figure out what that next big step is. Everybody, everybody keeps saying that my next big thing is, is this book and that my next career is as an author. Which, yes, I think that is going to be the case temporarily when it comes out this fall, but I don't want to be an author. I, I didn't particularly enjoy the book-writing <laughs> experience. Um, I'm glad I had a chance to do it, but I have no desire to do it again. Um, and I also don't want to be, you know, people have said, oh, you know, you'll start your own business uh, that's all about people leaping from their jobs and figuring out what comes next and that'll be your thing and, and you'll go speak about that and you'll have a big website and you know the problem is I do not want to be the business of me. I don't want to be the industry of me. I just I know a I lot of people totally get that. that but I have no I just don't have any desire to do that. So Amen, I think that I still have, I mean, the, the end of my book is, is a big question mark. Um, and my publisher wasn't sure that they wanted that to be the case, <laughs> but it is. Um, I, don't, I still don't know what's coming next. I think I have a better idea now, especially after this trip I just took, but um, still, still figuring it out. Still in the swimming pool, swimming laps. So there's a great segue because that's... Um, yeah, I, I think so many people find themselves in that position right after, uh, especially if you've committed to making some kind of a career change without really knowing what that, what that looks like, what it's going to be. Right. And you had the, you know, uh, audacity to, to pull the trigger on that career change without knowing what the next thing was going to be. Most of us fret about it um, for a long time and try to make sure that we've got that other box filled before right. we pull the trigger on the change. And for very for very good reason. Oh, so, totally. I, I'm Absolutely. That this works for everybody. And I know financially, it's a, you know, that that is the biggest question. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was fortunate that I was able to, to, to do it this way. So, and, it, and it makes sense, too, when... You're, what you're saying is, it sounds to me like you're, you weren't, um, 
you weren't overly um, anxious about not being attached to a new outcome. You know what I mean? You didn't have this fixed idea in your mind that, oh, this is my North Star and I'm going to climb and lasso the moon and this is going to be it. You were okay with not having a fine point on that pencil. Well, I would like to say that that was the case, but the thing is, I didn't, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what this was going to do to my sense of self, to my sense of my place in the working world, to my sense of, um, you know, a woman in the working world, um, stepping off, uh, basically leaning out instead of leaning in. I, you know, I, I didn't think through all of that, and I, I didn't know what was kind of coming for me, both mentally and emotionally. And had I known, <laughs> I would never have done it, because it was, it was a lot of heartache and a lot of soul searching that was not easy. And um, you know, it's, it's always, it's easier to take the easy way. Um, and for me, the easy way would have been to stay in a job that that I was no longer um, that, that was no longer the best thing for me. Um, so when I look back at it, you know, yeah, I stepped off without a plan, and I was okay with that because I didn't know that I wasn't okay with it. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's what I meant. You were you were okay in that minute with not having yeah. a, a map. Yeah. Not that yeah, you were I, not I, that I, you were I, certain I, that everything was going to be okay. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, again, a lot of people find themselves in that position thinking that you're going to be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, totally, this is going to be the new direction that I'm going, and everything's going to work out fine, and I, you know, I, 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 I trust things to work out, and, and then you step off the platform and, and realize that, you know, the train you were trying to step onto left the station 10 minutes ago, and, you know, what, uh, now what? The first time I did that, I, I had to mourn it. As though there was a passing, that there was, there was, there was. There, That's I, an interesting. I laid on the couch. Yeah. For three weeks. Yeah. Wow. I lay, I was literally really bummed because I was in the same spot. I had to make a decision that this was not only no longer fulfilling for me. Um, I had gone for this brass ring, had attained a particular brass ring, and I thought this would be it, man, and it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. The only thing that it did was it made me feel further from myself. Every day I punched that clock and collected a check. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like I would, I would either lose what's left of me or face this fear of the unknown. Well, shit, it can't be any worse than this. I was wrong. The fear of the unknown, that fear part was easy, right? The fear part's easy. So you get comfortable it's with the it. actual chasm of the unknown once you get there. Holy shit, I was couch surfing for three weeks. Yeah, I was laying on the couch. I was tired. I was worn out. I had no. You just need to rest a little bit. Yeah, I had no no sense. I had all these things that I felt that I had the capacity to do and accomplish, and but I had no resonance with anything. I felt so disconnected. Um, that's what, that's that's really interesting because I almost wish that I would have taken that time to just be on the couch and mourn it. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I talked about this in my speech that I, I encourage people to actually do exactly that. To get, you know, give yourself some time to mourn the loss because it's a huge loss. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do that. I actually did the opposite. I made sure that I was going out with friends for coffees and drinks and 
that I was networking with people mm -hmm. and making sure that I was busy and you know what that meant was that publicly I looked like I was having a great time and I was handling all of it really well and I was super brave and it was going great and hello you know, everybody me, drinks me on me in my head I'm like uh, WTF yeah 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 so uh, then you then you had an experience here in the last few weeks that that kind of has you. Uh, Wait, is that book in the can? You're you're finishing up on that, or? Actually, yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of uh, final copy edits right now. I handed in the manuscript in at the end of summer 2014, and now it's in what's called copy editing, where they go mm -hmm. through all for all punctuation and grammar and all that sort of thing. And I still have a few things um, that need to be changed, but in in about two weeks, like mid March, it'll all be put to bed and. And then I hand it over and say, okay, what do you want me to do now? Nice. Um, and it's coming out in August. And, and the name of the book, again, as a reminder, is? Leap Without a Net, Leaving a Job with No Plan B. Love it. <laughs> All right. I don't love it. That sounds nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it is nuts. It probably is. <laughs> um, okay. So, heretic. Uh, you and I were talking before, um, before we jumped on uh, the recording about something that's happened here, and I keep coming back to this, I'm gonna keep hammering on it, and you keep you quit distracting me, Michael, because we wanna talk about this. Uh, an experience you had in the last couple of weeks that is, as you mentioned, kind of, uh, up, you know, setting your mind down the path of possibility. Yeah, so I, at the end of January, um, went to Peru which I had never been to before. Um, I've been to Argentina a couple of times, but have never been anywhere else in Latin America. And my father is a physician, um, an orthopedic surgeon, and every year he goes to either Peru or Ecuador with a medical team that does these medical missions and they go into these communities where, where there is no medicine, basically. Um, certainly no modern medicine by the definition that we have it here in the, in the States. And I've been wanting to go with him for years and just never had the time and opportunity. I kind of felt like it was a, um, a really good chance to bond with my dad, who I had a great relationship with uh, forever, but um, had never really just spent time alone with him. And B, I just thought it was going to be a great story, uh, because here you have all these doctors and nurses who fly in from the States on their own dime, bring all their own equipment in suitcases, um, suitcases full of scalpels and surgical gowns, and it, it really is a remarkable thing to see. And they go into these communities where the families literally have nothing. Um, there is no prenatal care, there's no postnatal care, there, um, there is just uh, all kinds of um, cystic fibrosis and other diseases uh, that uh, aren't that the, the, the medical systems in these countries simply can't handle, um, particularly in the rural areas. So we were in a place called uh, Sacred Valley, which is a series of towns in a, a gorgeous valley in the middle of the Andes, um, about an hour from Machu Picchu. And it's a town called Coya, um, all dirt streets, uh, and a teeny tiny clinic that um, has equipment that is, I mean, modern to them is what you would have found in the States 
20 to 30 years ago. Mm. And the first day that we got there, there were 70 families waiting in line. Some of them had driven two hours from other, I mean, sorry, two days from other parts of Peru because they heard that this team of orthopedists was going to be there. And some had literally walked from the tops of the Andes wow. with their children. And all these children had, um, they, this team works only on children, and they all have some sort of bone deformity. Um, so there are a lot of club feet. In fact, there was one young woman who had, both of her feet were club feet, so they were both turned in at 90 degrees. Wow. And by the time I left, uh, they were both pointed straight. Um, wow. I mean, they, these doctors and nurses literally make it so that, so, so that some of these children can walk for the first time in their lives. And they are five years old, nine years old, 14 years old. Um, so not only did I see some, you know, what you could qualify as, as medical miracles in Peru, but I also just fell in love with these local people who have nothing. I mean, they, there were children who had no underwear. Um, these are people who can't pay anything. And yet there was this joy in them. They, they were all smiling, um, even though some of them had, as I said, traveled for two days and the clinic was overwhelmed, so they couldn't get in the first day. So they just sat in the waiting room all day long and there was not a peep, not a complaint, nothing. Um, no kind of, where's my, you know, who, when can I see somebody, where's my lunch, you know, there's just nothing except concern on the part of these parents um, for, for their children and for these doctors to somehow make their children's lives better. And I just watched this all happen for five days. Um, and I recorded all of it. I, I came back with 12 hours of audio tape and about 1,500 photographs. Wow. Um, and I'm still not sure what I'm going to do with all of it. But uh, the way I describe it now, and I, I need to write a blog post about this, um, it was, I was in this, this compassion bubble mm -hmm. that is not something that you're prone to seeing in this country very often. And it was, it was compassion on both sides of the equation. You know? So compassion not just from the doctors and nurses and people who were there to help, but compassion from these families who were just so grateful and so hopeful and so full of joy despite the fact that they have nothing they have nothing and being in that bubble um really really had a profound effect on my psyche and in fact i don't i don't know if you could hear it this is what was happening to me absolutely days after i got a home I would fall apart just talking about it. Absolutely. And I don't know why, except that I'm just so emotionally overwhelmed by what I saw and by what it did to my sense of what I want to do in the world. And it's not like I've never seen poverty before. You know, I've done plenty of stories in inner city America, um, but this just made me realize how, how huge the world is and how many people need compassion and need help. 
And I suddenly find myself wanting to participate in that in some way, shape, or form. And I mean, I've, I have volunteered my entire life, you know, whether it's in literacy or in um, community treatment for animals. Before I left, I had just gone to my first training for the Red Cross. So it's not like I, it's not like I newly discovered compassion, but I suddenly just had this overwhelming desire to, uh, to travel, first of all, um, and see other parts of the world uh, where they are not, not as fortunate as we are. And I had this also just this overwhelming sense that the next thing I'm supposed to do is much, much larger than myself. Um, even, you know, journalism seems very uh, privileged at this point. Um, I just it, it, it just seems like even like this book that's coming out. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm really glad it's going to be out there, and I hope it helps people. But it seems it just seems so. I don't know, so not not meaningful in a larger sense. And I shouldn't say that out loud because I want people to buy it. But I, you know, I think I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. It's just that there's all, all of a sudden I just feel this pull pull to go go help in a much broader way, and I have no idea what that looks like. I, I'm still, clearly, I still have to figure out how I can talk about it without bringing that out. <laughs> well, don't, don't question why it's making you emotional. It just is making you emotional right yeah. now for whatever the reason is. But one of, Tess, one of the things I've noticed, you know, since the time I saw you speak and following you since then, you know, yeah, you left without a net. You don't really know, you know, what you're gonna do, but you're out there trying things. You're kind yeah. of not, you're not putting yourself in a bubble. You didn't. Oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. So now I'm going to go to every seminar on the planet. You you didn't do that. You got out there and engaged with the world. And and by and I think that's how you find it. And by and toward Jackie's point, toward what you said earlier, by the fact that you didn't sit and lick your wounds and mourn any losses and passing and and the 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 passing of an era in your life. Um, you found yourself. You, you you needed to be open to what was right. was coming next, and not close to anything because you weren't uh, attached to a particular outcome. So being open to that, you spent five days in the thinnest air on the planet for people yeah. for people who would walk for two days down a mountain in damn near bare feet to meet another human being who was compassionate enough to care. Right, who who gave us who gave a shit about a stranger enough so that they would go 10, 12 hours a day and try to fix them for no money, um, and and help them and provide for them. So they showed up with hope and joy and love for each other and their kids, and bringing that to you as this is my form of payment is this um, appreciation that's coming from the depths of my heart. And by the way, I walked two days to get here. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask a question about that compassion. Um, you mentioned that, that, that uh, bubble of compassion that, that you felt kind of surrounded you uh, while you were there. I'd imagine that part of that was from the, on, on behalf of the doctors, that, that, yeah. that the compassion that they were showing uh, towards the, the, the folks there in Peru, especially the children there in Peru. Um, but I, I get the sense that there's a little bit more to that than, than just the the folks who went down there with the intention of helping. Yeah, and, and I and it's very hard for me to pinpoint 
what that is. Um, because if you know, I, I mean, I I met a lot of people while I was there. Uh, people who lived there. I don't speak the language, so I had to have an interpreter with me. But you know, for example, I met um, a woman, who, a, a woman from Switzerland, who. Uh, several years ago was basically hiking in Peru and came across uh, some people in the mountains who needed help and she's a physical therapist and fast forward several years and she moves to this area very near the clinic I was at and opens a rehabilitation home for for these children who um, she says uh, can be helped enough so that they have a, a normal life, you know, even, even kids in wheelchairs. And she, I just went, I went to her house and interviewed so, her. So wait a minute, she, she moved from Switzerland, which is probably yes. a pretty privileged, cushy type existence that we could yes. probably relate to, and she moved her home to the Andes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, she has this house that um, is basically dirt walls. Um, I mean, it's very nice, and you know, she has amenities like you know, a stove and a fridge and stuff like that. But it's um, it's out in the middle of nowhere, and she did this purely because she saw a need that she could fill, and that is just so that is so head exploding to me. And I wish it weren't because I wish that I was that kind of person who would just do that. But to me, that was. And I, and I kept seeing this over and over. There was also this young 25-year-old uh, guy who uh, is studying to be a physician's assistant and basically left his life in Michigan uh, to go down and help out at this clinic. Just because. Because he, you know, he had a sense of adventure and he had a sense of wanting to help people. And I mean, I just, I kept running across this in, in the brief travels that I had there, you know, not just the five days at the clinic, but, you know, the 10 days that I was in country. And it just really shook me up. And I, I almost hate to say that because of the, then I have to confront my own kind of really sheltered, privileged life. Um, and what that meant and what it has maybe kept me from doing. Although I'm, you know, I've had a great career and I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm a happy person. But all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm 45 and I see that, you know, the box is waiting for me, and there just has to be something more. And I saw it while I was there. Well, and, and I think a part of that, it's. You, you go and you experience something like that, and it's the contrast. You know this, I want to stop crying. <laughs> I, I, and, and hopefully, here, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to help you stop crying by making you mad. Um, because you, part of the reason that that stands out as such an experience when you, when you encounter that level of compassion for, uh, for your fellow humans, or, or when you see other people expressing that kind of compassion towards their fellow humans, and you have to contrast it with your experience back home and the and the uh, and the news you uh, receive on a daily basis, yes. or perhaps report on on a daily basis. Like for example, Representative uh, Glenn Grothman, who's a Republican from Wisconsin, um, who said at a town hall in his district last week that constituents should monitor purchases made with debit cards from FoodShare, uh, which is the SNAP program in Wisconsin, 
uh, and told the people in attendance to keep an eye on the types of things people on food share buy at the grocery store. Oh my god. Well, yes, because Cheetos are bad. Yeah. And, and you can and you compare that, and I and I don't think that's representative of the average American. I really don't. I think these are I think these are the people yeah. who who say things like this so that they can, you know, one-up Louis Gomer or one-up Rush Limbaugh. But, but based upon what I got from Tess and from what you're thinking, my sense of our experience in in the West, yeah. in, in the industrialized West, in the quote-unquote privileged world, isn't necessarily, Tess isn't going, oh, woe is me, I'm falling down on my sword of guilt. Right. But what she found was... Um, often we look at how can we go through the world and find something that fulfills me? How can I go find something that fills the space up in me? And what she found is she went and found and, and experienced other people who are trying to fill a space much bigger than them. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out how to put something in place that bridges the gap between I got nothing and I'm at a, and a really serious level of need and I can be the bridge that you can walk across to get at least the, the most critical part of that need met. And we don't do that here. Well, not only articulating it way better than I way better than I am, and I'm going to steal all that when I try to explain this to people, because that's exactly it. But there is, there was also a sense, um, I, I, I can't, Jerry and Michael, I'm not sure who's talking. Um, that was all Michael. The voices are similar. They're so, all, they're both, um, they're, Two parts, they're like Siamese twins, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just okay, because well, he's sitting on my lap doesn't mean we're twins. Yeah. <laughs> well, whoever was talking about... Um, that was Clark. The, you know, the, the TV news. Um, oh, yeah, that was me. Okay, well, the, when, I, when I got back, um, I posted this thing on Facebook because I... And, and, and again, it's a, I had just come from this, this bubble of compassion, and I landed in the U.S., and what I posted was... Um, so after 10 days away, I see that the country's current conversation revolves around tearing Brian Williams a new one for being a fallible human, yeah. giving Kanye West the time of day for just being Kanye West, ridiculing Uma Thurman for making grown-up decisions about her own appearance, and something called left shark. Like, this is what, this is what the conversation was when I came back. Yeah. And I wanted to puke. Because to me... The, the, the problem in this country right now, well, one of many, <laughs> is the, the stunning lack of compassion and the stunning need and willingness to tear other people down. I mean, it's, it, there is just this rampant sense of schadenfreude that is disgusting. Yeah. It's like we, you know, we, we revel in other people's misfortune, in other people's foibles, and it's sick. And, I mean, I knew that before I left, but after the experience that I had, you know, abroad, and then coming home and seeing that literally this is, this is what people are talking about. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, and this that's, is bullshit. That's the contrast, right? I mean, that's what makes yeah. it stand out in such extreme relief is that you have you have examples of people that you've just spent 10 days watching examples of people who care deeply about their fellow humans who they know dick about who they know yes. nothing about yes. and and have just decided that this is 
something that they're going to do. They're not demonizing these people. They're not going there saying, oh, well, shit, if you would just get your act together, you wouldn't right. have these, your kids wouldn't be in this situation. Right. Um, if you would just work a little bit harder, if you would pull yourself up by your fucking bootstraps, you wouldn't yeah. be in this situation. No, these are people who are, who are exemplifying the qualities to which so many of our fellow Americans prescribe to this particular philosophy and, and pretend to be the heir apparents of this particular philosophy um, and, and apparently don't know dick about it because these are the folks who are being Christ-like, Buddha-like, you know, uh, and, and expressing yeah. that compassion towards their fellow human beings. Yeah. And yet you come back and you've got people who are just fucking angry all the time. We talked that we had a... a yes, um, yes. Oh my God, we are angry all the time. All the time. Right. Angry and also feeling that, well, he's getting something, I need to be getting something too. Or giving him that takes something there's out of the my scarcity, mouth. There's yeah. the scarcity. There's the anger. Scarcity is terrible. There's the, and there's the othering. There's the, there's the person... You know, it, we talked about this with Darlene Acuna, um, a, a friend of my wife's who's, they, they've been friends for quite a, quite a long time, internet friends, they met on LiveJournal, um, but Darlena has kind of a knack for, um, she's a journalist, she's a print journalist, um, she uh, wrote an article, or actually wrote a blog post that then became an article about going to pick up um, uh, uh, WIC benefits in her Mercedes because her and her husband I had this. I remember this. So, yep. so Darlena uh, has this great... beautiful story. Oh, it's gorgeous. But she has this sense of if you, if you can make the other person, if you can make the victim of that other story responsible in some way, shape, or form and blame them for their own suffering yep. and make it a moral fault, a moral failing on their part, then it's not going to happen to you. Right, and and you and you have to think about it. And you don't have to think and about the, it. The, the, what I keep thinking when I when I read tests that had you know the experience of Peru, and then I go do a little bit of search about Peru, and I look up Wikipedia, and I look at the demographics, and I go, hey man, this is kind of like Chiapas in southern Mexico, mm -hmm. where these people are walking you know hundreds of miles in order to get what meager um, access to what meager resources that they can get in particular right. in particular ways, and then I see these kids playing in the dust, and they are giggling. And yes. they are, are yes. just, yes. you know, yes. it's not like, oh, well, we make do with what we have. They are who they are, right? So we're not passing judgment. And I keep going, the simplest thing, right, isn't to go do a moral in, uh, inventory, not to do a spiritual inventory, but just to go like the, these doctors and like Tess has. Tess says, I have a voice mm -hmm. and I have some skills where are these applicable in solving some very simple things? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not judging anybody who's in need of this solution. I'm just trying to figure out how to kind of get to that spot. This doctor isn't going, oh, well, you know, then I could actually do plastic surgery over here and make more oh, money. This other doctor's going, you know, I... I this doctor's not going, hey, kid, are your parents gay? Right. Because if so, yeah. you know, next in line, please. Right, right, right. I mean, it's funny that, that you know, be, the state of healthcare in, in America being what it is, that you have so many um, stories brought to the fore of, of, of uh, healthcare professionals making these uh, very specious moral uh, <coughs> judgments and proclamations on people. They obviously don't have enough to do. 
Yeah, my, my, yeah. my friend, a friend of mine from high school's wife is a primary care physician in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. And she works in a practice where one of her patients is young, like maybe six or seven and transgender. And a lot of other doctors in the practice refuse to treat this child. Oh, and she, yeah, and my friend, my friend's wife is treating the child, happily treating the child, and the family's very grateful. But I'm like, yeah, what is this world coming to when doctors are, are refusing to provide services based on moral judgments? Yeah. Right, right. No, I mean, it's, it, it's sad. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, an experience like this, I think, has just brought it into, into relief for me. And, you know, it, and it's not, it's not, it's not that this country is, bad. I love, of course I love America. I, mean, I really do. And I know how privileged I am and I, I've had a wonderful life, but there are just some things where we are just so off track. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, I have, last weekend I went to uh, Costco with my husband and I, I, was, I just, just like looked around and, and I was like, what is this? What what is this? Yeah. What who needs this? Yeah. I mean, and that's coming from someone who's been a member for like ten years. Yeah. Well, and so we are so. Well, first of all, we're spoiled. We are spoiled brats. And second of all, and you know, I I knew this from my years as a personal finance reporter, but we are just we are over consumers <laughs> to an extent that is kind of horrifying. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like we can never, ever get enough. And yet when, you know, when you go to this teeny tiny town of Koya in the Sacred Valley, I mean, and actually all over Peru, all they have is corner stores. That's <laughs> all they have. And, you know, you don't need 20 different brands of fucking toilet paper. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Tess, I really think that that drives a lot of the depression and anxiety you see in society because we're always looking, okay, what's next? Yeah, I have this now, but I need to look, I need to chase what's next and I'm and falling behind. Me. I mean, that's been me. Yeah. And I'm, fa and I'm falling behind and I need, and then you go to, you go to Peru and you see these little kids playing in the dirt and they seem so happy. Yeah, they're happy yes. because they got a, they got a sunny day and a soccer ball. They're not worried about making the dean's list and getting into college. Right. They're, they're just focused on what's in front of them. It's very right. freeing. And, and it's not to say that those children, you know, don't deserve to have, you know, better soccer balls and mm -hmm. a better field and... And the prospect of going to college, and, yeah. You know, a, a brighter future. But, you know, there, there is some, there has to be some sort of balance between... Um, you know, a, a, a good and fulfilling life that is a very simple one and, you know, a good and fulfilling life where you are constantly, like, like not feeling like you have enough. Uh, we've, we've run in, 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 you know, in marketing world where we often, we, we make our bread and butter here, is we, we find folks that, that are extremely resource poor a resource rich and and they have a de they, they feel like they have a deficit right they're, that they're somehow not enough that they're somehow not not you know gotta gotta have gotta be gotta do and it's no one ever would dare to say to an American when is enough enough not right. not saying to not saying that you shouldn't strive and that you shouldn't plan and you shouldn't go for and you shouldn't be but if 
if we get to the heights of our culture, we get to the heights of where, you know, that judgment in Maslow's hierarchy, this is the pinnacle, right? Right. And right. you get to the pinnacle and, right. and you are miserable mm -hmm. and you have nothing but a stack of bodies and skulls and bones that you're standing upon to get you to where you're at, you're poisoned, your blood is sick your heart is heavy and you feel wrong. That's why when I'm in Costco, I'm going, holy shit. And then I look around to see if I know any, can, can, can stereotypically pigeonhole someone who's not from here and see if I can just look at, because you can go into Costco and not ever look anyone in the face, but yeah. there's lots of yeah. people there. And so you go look and you like, you catch yourself going, that person is on one of their first few trips to Costco and it's hitting them in waves every time they come because yeah. they are just, you know, awestruck and, and a little um, a, a little quizzical about why so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, and, and I, you know, Costco is a, is a good company and yeah. they, you know, I think they treat their employees pretty well. So it's, it's really, it's not about Costco. I could have said Target. I could have said, you know, Walmart. I could have, I could have said Vaughn. Store where you can buy a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, you're not bashing an institution or, or a thing. No, no, I'm just, you know, it's, it's just the idea that we constantly just have to have more and more and more to ends that I think that are, are like, like there is no way to it. Well, and, and it creates a culture of, you know, that, that, it, not only do I want more, but I want more now. And I'll tell my own yes. Costco story. My very, very pregnant wife, seven months pregnant with twins. And it's <coughs> obvious this is a pregnant person, goes to Costco a few weeks ago, sends me a text message from the parking lot that she's, you know, she's basically sitting in her car crying, trying to gain her composure because while she was loading her groceries from Costco, some asshole was parked behind her waiting for her parking spot and started honking at her because pregnant lady wasn't moving fast enough. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is, you, you, you're like, what is wrong, wrong with people? Hurry up, fat ass, I got money for an 80 inch TV burning a hole in my goddamn pocket. What are you doing? Yeah, what, what am I? Glenn Beck isn't big enough in my living room. Move right. aside. I gotta, I gotta go get the 87 inch. You know, and that's what we do. We other, right? I just other. I just went and said, you know, that, you know, yeah, I can then try to turn the other cheek and go compassion. There is no, ex uh, you know, covering for for bad behavior like that. But, you know, like uh, like Spider-Man and Spider-Man say, hey, with great power comes great responsibility. I think with great stacks and wonderful opportunity and um, huge piles of stuff and with skills that we've acquired in, in the best system ever known to man comes the opportunity, not yes. the responsibility, but the opportunity to, Ooh, le like to level the fuck up. Yeah. I, I really like that reframing it as a as an opportunity, not responsibility. Because it, it is, and when you when you see it and when you open your eyes to it, it, it is an opportunity. I mean, like I am I am totally excited to figure out what I'm gonna do like with this feeling that I have now, it, and I don't I don't feel it as a responsibility. I feel it as a oh my god, I get to go do something really amazing again no idea what that is yet <laughs> and, and, it, and it will fill you yeah. up more than whether or not you have cash in your pocket to buy eight 80 inch televisions it will <coughs> fill you yeah. up more than you could consume all of Costco and spend and not be in the hole in the bank and still not be <coughs> as fulfilled as you would be trying to fulfill a need in somebody else 
Well, and that's that's the um, the Buddhist concept of the hungry ghost, right? That's one of the um, one of the particular tortures uh, in in Buddhism is that idea of your craving being all consuming. Yeah. That 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 what causes suffering isn't the external circumstance, isn't the fact that you had cancer, isn't the fact that you, you know, are poverty stricken. Those aren't the things that cause suffering. What causes suffering is that uh, that desire for what your neighbor has. When I when I was a kid, I thought dying of consumption meant being greedy. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that phrase. I heard that phrase because my um, my grandmother was misdiagnosed with tuberculosis, and they locked her up in a sanitarium for a year. Wow! Right, and so this phrase, "dying of consumption," mm-hmm. I thought it meant you were being penalized for being greedy. I hadn't been to church a day in my life. <laughs> I just I just knew that if you know. Hey, I got enough peanut butter crackers. I can let somebody else have one. Yeah, I've got two. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I, that's what I thought. I thought dying of consumption meant being greedy. I think it, 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 we are dying of consumption in America. We're killing each other with it. <clears throat> well, and it's a, it's a, it is. It's an invasion of hungry ghosts. It's an invasion of I, I I there's that craving for something external to satisfy when when in reality. There is no external that can satisfy it. It's yeah. all It's funny because you hear those outward bound sort of deals where we take this this unencourageable uh, youth from the inner city and we showed them a tree and it transformed their lives because mm-hmm. we got them out of themselves and they got to experience this othering, right? Mm-hmm. This wonderful transcendent experience. And I'm, and I'm kind of going, um, uh, okay, could we do this at Box? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's take Sean Hannity and show him a tree. Let's go camping, buddy. I'll show Sean Hannity a tree. Exactly. Carved into a baseball. I'll take him to a tree in Subway where they actually <laughs> chained some people and burned them with blow torches and ask him how he felt standing next to it. No, that never happened. There's a, there's a guy that, that was actually chained to this with, with, a, with a truck chain, and they delighted in lighting him <coughs> his flesh on fire with a hand blowtorch, and they well, sat there in the middle of that. Hey, let's go camping, buddy. You know what I mean? But, it's like. But the revisionists want us to believe that that never really happened. Of course, never, never really yeah. happened. But you kind of go. Um, everything's been minimized and been and been otherized to such an extent that it makes it very easy for us to to not have to to listen to what um, Tess said, where she's struggling to. She feels like she's struggling to articulate this in a, in a particular way, and it's really freaking simple. There's no calculus involved in doing this very simple math, and no one wants to hear it. I don't think we don't want to hear it. I think we struggle with how do we feel it. Yeah. Well, and, and not, only how we, not only how do we feel it, but how do we show it? How do we express it in, yeah. you know, um, because there's this, there's this ethos in, uh, you know, the, the, the American personality is the self-reliant, um, you know, a pioneer uh, yeah. who pulled himself up by his bootstraps and, you know, carved carved the wheels of the covered wagon and, and you know, shorn the sheep that he then, you know, turned the, turned the wool into yeah. yarn so he could knit the cover for the wagon that he carved out of wood. So guy, the guy that just said that demonized everybody on welfare, and he's talking 40 acres and a mule, that 40 acres was ceded to him by the government. He right. just got a handout first yeah. in order to get his leg. So quit talking about bootstraps and pulling yourself up by right. him because that person is barefooted. Right. Wrong conversation. 
There's no bootstraps. And that's that's the I, I love sorry, Tess. I love that you pulled in. I love that you pulled compassion into this yeah. into the conversation because that's really the thing. And and what is what does compassion mean, right? Compassion means being able to empathize with the the other person and and you know loving them because you can kind of see yourself in that position. You see the humanity in them. Right. It's 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 all summed up. I love 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 the 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 um the the Eastern greeting, the Namaste, because it means I see the God in you. I see the divine in you. I'm just like you. And if you can if you can greet other people that way, even if you do it silently, and experience other human beings as an extension of yourself, which is what they are, then you 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 can experience that compassion. But if you're if you're constantly making other people wrong for the circumstances in their life, you can you can never get to that place. You just can't. It's impossible. Yeah, we need a compassion bubble here. Mm-hmm. Compassion infusion. So I'm wondering, Tess, the, this, this, you know, you said you came back and you're having all these feelings and you have all of this stuff and you don't know what you're doing. I'm gonna, having all the feels. You're having all the feels and then you have all the pictures and the audio interviews and you don't know what to do with that yet. So it's almost like I'm wondering if maybe you shouldn't look at it like from American, oh my God, I have to do something with this right now. Because what I'm hearing from everything you're saying is like, I need to just spend some time processing this and thinking this through and from there figuring out what the opportunity is. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the place I'm in right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm going to do something with it. I, I don't know what. There's some grand multimedia audio visual <coughs> something or other. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, I, have to, I have to sort through... I mean, I, I have stories. Like, I have regular journalism stories that I can write about the stuff that I that I saw and did down there. But I feel like I have to figure out first what to do with this I don't know, this this head explosion that that I experienced. Right, because I think I think I'm guessing, I'm making a prediction here that the head explosion is where the gold is gonna be, not the journalistic stories you could write. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think you're right. Um, I don't know that well, nobody's nobody's gonna buy that. So I, <laughs> I not that kind of goal. Yeah, reality check. To support my ability to uh-huh. figure out the head explosion. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's all. I the way I see it is that you know this is all part of my ongoing story, and it's nothing that I ever ever, as I said earlier, could have expected that any of this would have happened, this kind of personal change, this kind of personal, um, you know, uh, navel-gazing, I guess, uh, because that's not something that I have historically done. But uh, clearly, leaving my job was just the very first part of what is a midlife something. It's not a crisis. It's not a... it's, It's just change. And I, you know, one of you were saying earlier that um, that what has allowed all this to happen is that I was open to it, and I, I would agree with that, and also just the fact that I am able to 
kind of grasp on to whatever lands in front of me. And I don't, I don't think I would have been able to do that if I had, I mean, if I had gone to Peru and I was still working at my old job, I think it would have been an entirely different experience. I would have been in a completely different headspace. I bet. You, you, would, have had, so you would have had a lot of... It's um, all of a piece. It's some sort of... I mean, I don't go out for this kind of language, but it's, you know, it's some sort of personal journey, I guess. And I'm not that woo-woo person who... Oh, neither am I, you know, but I get it. ...believes that the, the universe has a plan for me and all that. I, you know, I, 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 I just don't. However, there have been so many things that have happened in the last two and a half years that I have to wonder sometimes at what it all is pointing to. It's strong-armed into the belief. And listening to this has opened opened my brain up to a a lot of stuff. One of the big takeaways for me, and I want to thank you for this, is you just said, you know, if I had been in my other job, it would have been a very different sort of situation. Yeah. And what hit me was we are all in a job right now and and we find ourselves uh, maxed out we don't have enough elbow room or headspace so we feel right right and I think that's the that's um, that's a lie and and I think by listening to you regardless of whether or not you have this incredible you know fingertip to fingertip wingspan of stretch that you can do in your life now because you're unemployed um, is that you know that doesn't is that we can go there in our day job, in our daily lives. We Compassion does not require excess. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and that's what's hitting me right now is that I always go, God damn it, I'm not equal to that. I'm not equal. I can't look that guy in the eye. I can't attend the uh, city town hall meeting um, where they're debating the the relative wisdom of getting a streetcar system versus affordable housing. You know what I mean? I can't do that because I'm nowhere equal to the task. Guess what? I don't have to be. I can just show up and get and and extend myself and fill the space to the extent of the elbow room that I'm given. I don't have to be Warren fucking Buffett. Amen. That's what, that's what's hitting me in waves every time I hear you say that's this is this is a transcendent experience, but it's really this it's really simple. It is simple. Mm-hmm. It is it really is. And that's you know, that's that's something that I am learning as we speak. Yeah, I've learned to bring who you are to whatever adventure that you're doing <coughs> at the moment. Well, you know, whether that's a job or a trip or a journey or whatever, bringing who you are to that adventure changes the whole game. One of the crazy narratives right now is that, the, you know, the middle class is so beset from the top 1% and the bottom of 89% that um, that their entire quality of life is at, at risk. So they've got no room to think about anything but protecting their turf. That's and a I, narrative. And, and I think that mm-hmm. that narrative is, is such a disservice to us mm-hmm. that it, it demonizes everybody in the food chain and it really gives you no perspective on what mm-hmm. is actually possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I and I this is it's so interesting to hear you kind of sum up what I'm saying because I've had a problem doing that for, for myself. But, you know, having having that reflected back to me that actually it is fairly simple is helpful. Because I think sometimes when we have experiences like this, um, it's easy to try to go deep on it and try to make it 
even bigger than it really is, and maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's maybe it is just really really simple. It's it's it simple. It doesn't mean it's not massive, but you seem to right. have, you have found a whole a whole community of people that have helped figure out how to make themselves a pontoon bridge to get there from here, mm-hmm. and that you're doing your thing, sitting in the middle, processing it, how it's impacted you. You're already looking how to how to have your how to make your ripple. Right, and I and I think you know something simple can be massive. It doesn't have to be complex. This clinic in Peru, you you show up, it's like a pop up medical clinic. But the impact that that surgery had on the clubfoot girl is massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tessa, <laughs> I, it's hard to believe an hour has gone by so quickly, but uh, already. I know. Thank you so much for. I think I only cried for half of it. <laughs> <laughs> we have that effect on people. Well, yeah, but usually not for the right reasons. We just make people cry for other reasons. Um, so. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for sharing that story. I think it, it's it's one of those things that's you have no idea what kind of an impact that's going to have on uh, folks, not just folks who listen to this, but folks who experience your presence now that you you've kind of been through this uh, uh, change. So even in those interactions you had, I mean, like random meeting somebody at the coffee shop that uh, that. Yeah. that that change is evident to the people that you encounter. So, um, good for you. I, I'm, this is. It, I'm excited to see where it, where it ends up. So, uh, book drops. The book drops in August. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, the book the book drops in August. Uh, yes. And it's uh, August 25th. Leaping without a net. You can pre-order on Amazon anytime you like. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, so then we're planning on August uh, having you back with us to yeah. uh, talk about the book and kind of do a deep dive on that, if that's cool. Um, yeah, I guess that would be okay. All right. You know, <laughs> you'll put up with us one more time. <laughs> if you insist. Embrace the book. Allowing me to market my book. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of our guests made us buy a whole bunch, so... Oops, wait, did I say oh, that's that? right. <laughs> <laughs> we had to buy two. Well, no, that was oh, to get her. That was to get her to come out for. That, actually, yeah, that that was true. We got her. We bought a whole bunch of books so she could stay at Jackie's house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did work like that. That was great. Um, so uh, same deals on the table for you, Tess. Well, uh, you can be harassed by Jackie's dog. <laughs> come up and yeah, do it. Yeah, if you want to come to Sacramento, you can stay with my dog. Come up and do an in-person presentation. Well, thanks, Tess, for, for joining us, and uh, looking forward to talking to you next time. And everybody else who's listening, uh, go out and make some awesome this week. Now you've got some serious fuel and no excuses. Go make some awesome and uh, share some of that compassion that Tess was talking about. Have a great week, everyone. Awesome.